0: It is we're loaded today i don't even want to like waste time there's a lot of stuff to get to and first things first as we welcome you into episode number 22 of minor league baseball's the show before the show podcast i'm tyler Mon. he's sam dykstra hi sam
1: hey how's it going
0: sam did you see that i got into a twitter spat with joe buck today i did not i am uh, i'm very uh perturbed is there a blue check mark are you sure it, was it is, is joe buck? i swear it was at buck uh so here's what happened uh buck returned to twitter today at buck uh hasn't been on twitter in quite some time and was doing his usual thing i love i love joe buck i am a rare bird in that i love joe buck i think he's the best national broadcaster out there i think he's phenomenal he lets moments speak for themselves but he's like oh he's too dry he doesn't get excited enough i'd rather have a guy sit and let the moment play out on television than hear him talk all over it all the time so i love joe buck but i actually tweeted now that joe buck is back I forgot the thing that I wanted to tweet at him like a year ago during his hiatus and then Joe Buck retweeted that and added uh let me find it let me find his full quote because okay. uh, it was, you know, Let's
1: misquote Joe Buck.
0: It know? was quote. Let me guess. I hate your team. I'm boring. Lucky I had a famous father. I suck. I have a big forehead. Now sleep. That's how he ended it. <laughs> and then I responded and said, Wait, 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 wait. No, man. I'm actually like a huge Joe Buck fan. I was saying uh-huh. that I had something I wanted to talk to you about, and he uh-huh. just never responded. But the problem with that is then everybody who hates Joe Buck then took me up like as their hero of the day. Oh no!
2: See, so I got like- all
0: these like angry royals fans were like yeah remember how he was talking about madison bumgarner and i'm like no i don't want a part of any of this <laughs> well that's the problem with twitter i mean you only get I
1: know! and there's no sarcasm font there's no, no-
0: how it, have we not invented a sarcasm okay. font yet
1: yeah, express your emotions. So uh, I was
0: not a big fan. So that was my, that was my one big development of the day. Um, this has been your social
1: media <laughs> lesson brought to you by Tyler Mon. this week. On- Tyler, Mon's, okay. Tyler
0: Mon's Twitter misunderstandings with Joe Buck here on episode number 22 of the show before the show. My second big development of the day, I am currently sitting in the press box at Isotopes Park, home of the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes, the uh, affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. They're taking on Corey Seeger and the Oklahoma City Dodgers today. And this is our second on the road in uh, three weeks in the Sam Dykstra era. This is the second uh, TSBTS yeah. on location.
1: I was trying to think all day of, like, an Albuquerque reference I can do. And I, I don't know enough, like, Simpsons references to joke yeah. about the isotopes. And I'm
0: just fighting to not make Breaking Bad comments every four seconds.
1: Well, that's the thing, is I just started Breaking Bad. Uh, okay. So it's in. So yep. I, the only reference I can make is yelling science and then a word I cannot <laughs> actually say on the podcast. So... Let's just uh, say, you know, I hope you're having a good time in Albuquerque. I hope the, the place treats you well and uh, stay away from drugs.
0: This ballpark is incredible. It's amazing. I'll be posting pictures from it and stuff. Not that anybody will get this before I post pictures tonight, but if you are listening to this on Thursday, you can go back to my Twitter feed at Tyler Mon. I'll be posting stuff from, uh, from Isotopes Park tonight. Mostly probably just pictures of the merchandise that I buy in the pro shop. So with that, let's dive in. Welcome into episode number 22 of the show. Well, first Sam, how are you doing? Cause I just I'm, talked about myself for 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> I am good. I'm, uh, in the comfort of our New York offices, palatial um,
0: New York offices. Yeah, I
1: am not on the road or anything like that but uh yeah enjoying the uh it's it's cooling down a little bit it's a good thing low 80s now so it's it's breathable and, uh, yeah, just enjoying the, uh, the, the close of summer while we still have it. <sighs>
0: it makes me so depressed, but there are still baseball topics to get to and we will get to them. We're going to jump in three strikes, strike number one for episode number 22 of the show before the show, Trey Turner up to the big leagues, the Washington nationals, uh, prospect formerly the San Diego Padres draft pick is headed up to the big leagues. This is a story that has been so weird for so long. And now Trey Turner gets to put it behind him, uh, uh, drafted very shortly after he was drafted. Everybody in the world knew over this offseason that he was going to be traded to the Washington Nationals, but because of Major League Baseball's rules, he was not able to officially be traded until just after a year since he had been drafted. So he basically played out the first six months of the season as kind of a, a, dead, a lame duck uh, era in his career with the San Diego Padres organization. Sent to the Washington Nationals, number two prospect in the organization. He's made his major league debut. Uh, and Trey Turner, this is, nobody in the world has to feel better that the minor leagues are possibly for good in his rearview mirror than Trey Turner with everything that he's been through.
1: Yeah, and well, the one thing about the minor leagues too is just the way he's performed there. I mean, it, it it he's done a good job of changing the conversation himself um, by just hitting it pretty much everywhere he's gone. I mean, they uh, you know he started the year like you said in San Antonio, hit three twenty two there, and then you know you get to the day where we were just calling it Trey Turner Day. You know, when can he officially be moved? And it yeah. comes, and he, he gets moved to Harrisburg, does even better there, hits three fifty nine in just ten games, and then all of a sudden they're saying. The Nats are like, you know what, we we really like what we have in you, and they bump him up to AAA, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we were always kind of following with him is, you know, when would he make that move, but also, you know, the Nats are likely going to have a, an opening at shortstop next year with Ian Desmond becoming a free agent. You know, what were the Nats going to do with him? We thought, you know, maybe he could compete come spring training, and then last week, boop, you know, before we uh, we think he maybe he gets a September call-up, they call him up anyways and give him a shot at the big leagues um one of the things we were kind of paying attention to with him is that they got him some time at second base you know giving him a little extra flexibility hoping that they can get his you know bat in the lineup any way they can Um, you know like I said uh, Ian Desmond's had his struggles this year Anthony Rendon has had struggles just staying on the field and you know repeating what was a really really good 2014 for him um, so the Nats are, are really trying to get him in the lineup as much as they can while he's in the majors. Um, so far, he's just had a couple of at-bats. He was a defensive replacement, came in as a pinch hitter. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he, how much his uh, bat plays in the majors over this next month. I mean, they're not going to probably send him back down to, to Syracuse with the rosters expanding in September.
0: The crazy thing about Trey Turner is he is already the sixth Product of the 2014 first round to make his major league debut that's how loaded that draft class has been already and 13th overall pick by the Padres uh everything that he dealt with like you said he forced the conversation to be about what he could do on the field Uh, I believe it was Randy Jaslieri from uh whose name I'm sure I just butchered because I've never actually had to say it out loud but uh from Grantland did a, a phenomenal piece a few weeks back about the way that the Padres kind of dismantled their minor league core in this whole massive offseason that they had of 2014 into 2015. And the discussion, obviously, was in there about Turner because he looked to be a guy who could be a franchise cornerstone at a very valuable position for a very long time. And now the Nationals, a team that, you know, was expected to run away with that division, is not doing that. they are uh, still a handful of games behind the New York Mets. They've got a guy in that spot right now. I mean, that's a guy who you can build around. Ian Desmond has not performed this year. Uh, Anthony Rendon on the other side of the middle infield has struggled a lot with injuries. So you're not really sure what you have in the middle infield if you're the Washington Nationals if you don't have somebody like Trey Turner. So he's kind of changed the conversation all on his own right, and that's a really cool thing to see for that kid because for a very long time, I mean, like you said, we were calling it Trey Turner Day. It was just at what point is Trey Turner going to be a member of the Washington Nationals? That's very neat for Trey Turner that he was able to make it about what he profiles as for the Nationals and no longer, oh, there was this weird story with this kid who was traded in the wintertime and he couldn't go over to his new team until June.
1: Right, and the funny thing about that too, you mentioned the Padres um, and Trades, and, you know, r- around July 31st, they were looking to move Ker- Craig Kimbrell, a couple other pieces, and, the- and I know the Nats were looking to add a closer. They eventually did that with Jonathan Papelbon. Um, but in some of the discussions, some of the rumors, anyways, we heard, was that when they were discussing sending Kimbrell to uh, Washington, the name wa- uh, that the Padres were asking for back was Trey Turner. <laughs> they saw how well he had done this year in the-, the Nats system, and they said, well, if we could get him back, that would be fantastic. Um, he's climbed from, you know, I think he started this year at number 62. Now he's a number 11. You can make the case. He's a top 10 prospect in the game right now, especially in the minors. Um, or, you know, amongst, um, you know, at at the time of the call up, he was a top 10 guy who was still in the minors. So, you know, I I can't imagine what was in his head then. You know, your name gets thrown around in trade rumors, trade happens, but you can't be moved. And then once again, your name comes up in trade rumors. Um, so he's done a good job of deflecting that and, uh, yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see what, how long he sticks in the majors.
0: Strike two, Sam, we'll talk about a prospect in the St. Louis Cardinals organization, Luke Weaver, a right-hander out of Florida State, another one of those 2014 first-round picks who has been outstanding this year in 17 appearances uh, so far for Class A Advanced, Palm Beach, an 8-5 and five record and a 1.66 ERA. The Cardinals, we know, have there's something in the water in St. Louis that they can get, especially college pitchers, get them out of the draft, get them to the big leagues in like 15 minutes. Uh, but Luke Weaver looks like he might be that next guy. I mean, we, we know uh, here from Rob Kaminsky what it was like being traded away from the organization Uh, Marco Gonzalez made a major league impact last year he's been mostly in the minor leagues this season so the Cardinals have had these guys come up and make impacts at least in Gonzalez's case uh, and some of the other young arms they've gotten in the big leagues but you know then there are the cases like Kaminsky who are off now to help a different organization and somebody steps into that role as far as a top prospect pitching prospect collegiate arm advanced arm goes in the Cardinal system and it looks like Luke Weaver's that next guy.
1: Yeah, I mean he's in that class right now with Alex Reyes, another guy you know who's who's uh, looking like he's just about to pop right now in the Cardinals system with the the year he's having. But um, yeah, I, fe- I featured Weaver last week in my tool shed piece just because you know I was looking over his numbers and they just really obviously popped out. The ones you you listed there, the 1.66 ERA, his FIP is incredibly low. It's it's it. This isn't quite luck that it's working out for him. Um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit with him and I talked with the uh, Palm Beach pitching coach um, just about, you know, what's kind of gone into this. And I came up with three things that I laid out in the tool shed piece. Um, one thing that stands out is this changeup. up uh, talking with Randy Neiman, the, the Palm Beach pitching coach there. Um, you know, a lot of places give it hit plus to plus plus grades. It's that good. And what makes a good changeup is a guy's ability to, make it look like a fastball coming out of your hand. And what we mean by that is it's the same arm angle. It's the same arm speed. Everything looks exactly the same until the guy's ready to step up and hit a 93 mile an hour fastball. And it comes in 10 miles an hour slower and they swing and look like a fool. Um, With, with Weaver, he's got all those right things going for him with that pitch. And um, you know, the the way Neiman put it, I'll just kind of read the quote for you. A changeup is by far the toughest pitch for a hitter. It's the one thing they can't practice. They can see velocity off a machine. They can see sliders off that too. But for Luke, it's got the same arm angle, same arm speed, same extension that they see a fastball come and then realize it's not. You can throw it for strikes. Every hitter that sees it gets concerned with it. So that's the first thing that kind of stands out. Another thing that um, kind of stood out to me when I was just first looking over this is uh, Weaver's start to the season. He had a little bit of an inflamed shoulder in his throwing shoulder and his right shoulder. Um, so coming out of his first spring training with the Cardinals he was taken last year in the first round out of Florida State uh the Cards wanted to be a little cautious with him didn't allow him to make his debut until May 14th and uh in talking to Weaver he said yeah you know that means I'm a little bit behind innings wise but uh the good thing is I still have you know plenty of gas in the tank and that's where we've been able to see him perform so well of late with Palm Beach um I don't think he's Just looking over his numbers, he hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in a start since June 29th. I mean, him in the second half has just been on fire. Part of that is, you know, being a college guy, pitching at the high A level. Um, But another part of that is he's just, you know, he's not tired. A lot of these guys coming out of college, they get their first full season. They hit July and August, and that's when they start to field a little bit, and that's when they get put on pitching limits. I know we've uh, talked to a bunch of pitchers this year who get kind of capped around this time of the year. Weaver doesn't have that right now because of his start to the year and because of that injury. Um, So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. And he said he couldn't be happier with it. You know, nobody wants injuries, but he's kind of happy with uh, the way things have gone this year for him. And the third thing for me was the uh, Florida State League issue is what I called it. You know, you look at, we like to think about park factors a lot with these guys. You know, we talk about the Cal League and the PCL as being offensive minded. So you take guys who have lots of homers in those leagues with pinches of salt and, on the flip side there's the FSL you know the FSL um when i wrote this they ranked last in runs per game per team so teams in the FSL are only averaging 3.75 runs per game that's the lowest in all the minors including the majors um so when you see numbers like weavers you start to think about it a little bit and be like i don't know about that you know that, that might not necessarily be the best thing but the good thing about him is that his home road splits he pitches pitches in Roger Dean stadium which is um, pretty average as far as, uh, as a home park goes in the FSL. Um, it, it tends to not allow a lot of homers, but um, actually Weaver has pitched better on the road in the FSL than he has at home, despite a couple of advantages going his way at Roger Dean. Um, I think both of his homers allowed this year have been at home. And, uh, you know, as much as we want to look at the FSL as a pitcher's park, and I'm sure his ERA would be closer to two, you know, maybe low twos in another league, He's doing all the right things, um, you know not allowing a lot of homers. He's keeping the ball down, uh, not giving up a lot of walks. He's a guy who doesn't hasn't given up more than two walks in any start this year. He's getting a good amount of strikeouts. He just has all those things going for him that make you think you know this could be another cardinal's success story when it comes to
0: pitching. Two notes here. One, uh, this is a good time to plug the toolshed columns that Sam does because they're some of the best stuff we have up on the site with regularity. Two, I think it's interesting that you noted there we talk so much about the PCL, the Cal League, to a certain extent the Texas League, some of these very offensive-minded leagues. For whatever reason, nobody ever really seems to focus quite as much on the fact that there are pitchers-oriented leagues that way. I mean, for what the PCL is for offense, the International League tends to lean toward pitching. Uh, the Carolina League tends to lean toward pitching. The Florida State League obviously very much does – so I think that's a, an astute point. It obviously does not negate everything uh, that we've seen You know, guys like Weaver do this season, but it is something to keep in mind uh, when guys climb the ladder, especially making that jump from uh, Palm Beach to Springfield, where you're going to be in a lot more offensive ballparks in the Texas League it affects pitchers differently sometimes the same way that it affects hitters who can jump from the California League to wherever the Southern League or some of these other uh, double A circuits that are a little bit less offensively minded. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, strike three this week is a weird one. And I think we might go like old school, like pardon the interruption on this, although I have that. A feeling that was that... my
1: hope. We
0: may agree. Thought- Oh, we yeah. may agree well, on the, on the resolution. We're not doing list.
1: this part in the interruption style,
0: then, if we're agreeing. That's so, going to be our big problem. All right, yeah, whatever, get, whatever get side you take, I'm going to take the opposite side. Whatever okay. you say, I'm saying the opposite. Okay, here is the situation. The Savannah Sand Sandnets, a Class A affiliate of the New York Mets, were on an 18-game winning streak. That is the longest in minor league baseball in over a decade. That winning streak – at least was temporarily paused on Sunday. Here's what happened. After winning 9 4 in Sunday's doubleheader opener against Canapolis, Class A Savannah had to settle for a 1 1 tie in the second game of their doubleheader on Sunday due to rain, bringing what is officially a close to the 18 game winning streak before it could hit 19 games. Officially, that game goes in the rule book as a tie, it ends the winning streak. Now, I'm, I'm, I'll withhold my answer. Sam, does that in your mind, is the winning streak over? Because Jose Laguerre, who is the manager of the Savannah Sand Nats, told me that night for com. no. He believes and his team believes they're still on a winning streak and may not officially say so, but that's how they see it. How do you see this? Okay, so. <laughs> I like that I know you're setting up for a point. Okay, yeah, here no,
1: we go. I read your story, and I really liked your story. because Thank you. Uh, it, it, it was a great opening with, you know, according to him, it's not over. Here's my thing. It's called a winning streak. Winning streak, meaning you have to have won every game as yep. part of the streak. They tied. I'm sorry. It's unfortunate. You know, we heard that apparently the the um, umpires got the tarps on the field 10 minutes before you know, the rain actually came, so th- there's some thought of maybe they could have gotten out of the tie somehow if they had squeezed in another run. And those extra Even temp-
0: apparently Canapolis tweeted something about that, the opponents for that day. That's how you know you're on a pretty good winning streak when even the opponents are like, man, we could have lost this game. They could have kept the streak going.
1: Right, and there's like, it, not that I'm saying there's a conspiracy theory there or anything like that, but it's a winning streak, and they, they have not won uh, their last game. Therefore, the streak is over. I'm sorry. I apologize to all Savannah (laughs) fans. I know it's a tough year with your team going to Columbia, and this is something to cling to at the end of the year. It's a very good run. It's a very good one. In my book, the streak's over. Tyler, what about you?
0: You know, since we're doing this uh, old-school part in the interruption, style, I'm going to say you're wrong, Sam. And here's going to be my point. There are no ties in baseball. To me, that game doesn't count. Streak continues. It's not an unbeaten streak. This isn't hockey. Well, there was no crying <laughs> in
1: baseball either. And then Wilmer <laughs> Flores proved this all wrong too. So listen. And turned into a fan favorite. That we didn't think actually happened.
0: I do love, though, Jose Laguerre's quotes from that night. Uh, he said that basically until somebody beats us, this is not over, and that I thought was very, very cool because he was the first guy to say, you know, it's, it was a tough situation for us. Our grounds crew did a great job. They were trying to keep it, you know, a possibility that we could play, but it was just a downpour for 20 minutes or so. But his point was we still haven't lost, and he even told his guys in the clubhouse post game, guys, we didn't lose this game. I truly believe if we had continued this game, we were going to win it. That's what he said to them. He said, "In our minds, the streak continues." I'm going to go with Jose on this one. I'm going to say the streak is alive. Maybe you call it an unbeaten streak now. Maybe you borrow a term from hockey or soccer. But I'm going to I'm going to say this streak lives. Yeah, and I have nothing wrong
1: with what he said. Listen, he's the manager of that team. He's you know he's supposed to beat the war drums and say nobody's beaten us officially and all that stuff. He did everything right. Everything you quoted him in that story, I support him saying that. <laughs> But as a writer who deals in words and technicalities and all that, I just I I cannot stand for this calling this a winning streak anymore.
0: Sam says it is not a winning streak. I say, in the interest of embracing debate, as <laughs> as the late 2000s major uh, sports media would love us to do, uh, I'm going to say it's still a winning streak. All right. Uh, bonus topic that we got to dive into. We, for the very first time, apparently can justify ourselves as being Stephen Colbert esque. And that last week, Sam blew up the Lando Calrissian jersey of the Potomac Nationals for Jersey Joust. And that thing just took off after episode number 21. Explain yourself.
1: Yeah. So I I would like to take a lot of credit for this because (laughs)
0: this is really just all you. Yeah.
1: I'm that type of egotistical, you know, person. But um, I actually got to write the story for uh, Lando, the Lando jersey winning the Jersey Joust, which was very exciting because I got to flex my nerd muscles that I don't get to use in this space very often.
3: Mm, Things about
0: Cloud City. Mm. Yes,
1: I got to uh, I got to use Cloud City references. I got to use like. I got to throw in my own little opinions about how dare Lando turn over his friend like that to Boba Fett. Just all these <laughs> things. That was just fantastic. But I, I talked to uh, the Josh the GM of the Potomac Nationals. Um, I did not interject myself in my talking with him. And he said actually a local DJ in the Potomac, D.C. area um, was a big fan, started talking it up a bunch. And then one morning, you know, they went from third to first after the guy had been talking about it all week. So I'm willing to share. I can say you Yeah, know, you can take half of the credit. Yeah, local DC media helped them out along with me. I'll do that. That's fine. That's fine. Um but yeah, that it, it's kind of exciting to see uh nerds unite behind uh the Cloud City administrator.
0: I am somewhat disappointed in the finishes of a lot of my favorites. I mean, I was big time behind the uh the Frederick Keys and the Chucky jersey and that didn't check in very high. Uh, The Fresno Tacos jersey somehow finished like in the back half of the top 20, which makes no sense to me. I think that one was just too good as a jersey. Everybody's like, well, it can't be in the theme thing. It's just got to be, it's just way too good for this. I mean, that's obviously, it's the only explanation there, but uh, you know. Not, not real proud of my own picks here. Yeah, shall I mean, we say. we're always
3: trying
1: to learn lessons from things. So I think yeah. the lesson to learn here is sell out your friends, <laughs> then uh, take their <laughs> spaceships, blow up another, the second version of the Death Star, and then you'll win Jersey Joust. I think that's what we can learn for next year.
0: <laughs> More nerd <laughs> muscles. Uh, yeah. So congratulations to the Potomac Nationals for your uh, your top spot finish, the Lando Calrissian jersey of the uh, inaugural Jersey Joust. You're on MILB.com for the 2015 season. I'm sure we'll be bringing that back next year. Maybe next year we'll have the, like, the the pants, uh, I don't know, push-off. Because we're going to have a conversation <laughs> yeah, about pants, theme pants. I didn't, that sounded so wrong. Push-off doesn't make off sense off at all.
1: Pants. Like, <laughs> I don't know what we can do, and I wish I could come up with
0: something off the top of my head. Something with a P. We'll we have figure. a year. We have we'll a figured. year. Yeah, we've got a year until that comes up. All right. We are uh, wrapping up three strikes with a bonus strike. We'll call that a ball. Sam taking credit for Cal (laughs) Rizzian winning. That's our first ball of three strikes. Uh, When we return, I am on location in Albuquerque. Uh, We're going to check in with one of the top prospects in the Colorado Rockies organization and a guy who has a lot on his radar as he looks forward toward 2016 and beyond. Shortstop Trevor Story. Troy Tulewitzki gone from this organization. Trevor Story, a former first-round pick. We'll hear from Trevor Story and uh, what the outlook looks like for him headed toward Denver perhaps for maybe September and maybe beyond. That's coming up next. Down in the third base dugout at Isotopes Park with Colorado Rockies number 11 prospect and Isotopes shortstop Trevor Story. Welcome to the show before the show, our catchy title for the Minor League Baseball Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So this is uh, your second straight season with an in-season promotion. Uh, make it up here to the PCL after starting the year in the Eastern League. How has Triple A treated you so far? I mean, you've had some really, really good stretches. Uh, you've looked great defensively, offensively. You've had some fantastic, you know, binges the plate, Uh, but how have you found this level? I mean, how have you found this adjustment, especially making this jump in season?
2: Yeah, uh, it's treated me pretty well so far, I'd say. Um, You know, there's a little adjustment, I think, from, you know, level to level, and this one is, uh, you know, you really find that a lot of guys can really just pitch. Um, You know, they know what they're doing, and they have, you know, a plan, and, you know, most of the time they can execute it, and... um, yeah just really for me it's uh you know taking care of the pitches that you know i need to and um you know not not missing the mistakes. September's coming up obviously in expanded rosters
0: and uh, there are a whole lot of people in Denver who are excited to see you whether it's in September or next year whatever it is but a question before getting to that, the AAA level prepares you obviously a lot for that because you see guys who've been in the big leagues, the way that they approach you is different. What do you think you've learned at this level versus maybe what you had seen in the Eastern League or the Texas League or the Cal League that has prepared you for that first major league experience whenever it comes?
2: Yeah um, I think each level has something different To offer, and you know, at this level, you won't. You know, you'll see all different kind of guys. You know, guys who have you know crazy stuff, and then guys who don't have crazy stuff, but you know, really know know you know where their ball is going and what they how they want to attack you. And you know, it's really just identifying you know that those kind of pitchers, and you know, implementing that into my plan. And uh, you know I'm just uh building off that.
0: You're a guy who uh, obviously is very familiar with the pressure that comes along with being a high draft pick, um, being a highly touted prospect in a system, all that. Um, a couple seasons ago, I think you kind of fell off some people's radars just because of, you know, maybe struggling a little bit in Modesto, that kind of stuff. But last year, really reestablished yourself. Do you think it, in being able to take some of the pressure off going into 2014 and and reestablish yourself, the things that you did last year at two different levels, was it almost a blessing in disguise to go through some of those struggles of, you know, kind of getting yourself? figured out as as such a young guy you're still such a young guy in this system do you think that's a a positive
2: no definitely Um, yeah I mean I'm a big believer that you know things happen for a reason and uh, you know I learned a lot about myself and you know about you know myself as a player during that time of struggle and was it 13 2013 Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah I just learned a lot Um, and you know went into the offseason and, you know, addressed those issues and, um, you know, came back the next year and, you know, had a good year. So, yeah, you know, I, I, like you said, it's probably a blessing in disguise that it happened. You know, you never want to struggle, but, you know, for me, I'd rather struggle before I get to the big leagues, you know, and not having my struggles be the first time in the big leagues. So, you know, I know I know how to get myself out of it because I've been there before. So, that's, uh, yeah, definitely a blessing in disguise. Let's
0: go back uh, a few years. If you could say something to yourself and you're coming out of high school, um, you know, the, the the stuff that goes along with being such a high pick and now climbing the minor league ladder and having to deal with that failure and having to deal with the, the successes that you've had also, what do you think you'd tell yourself when you were 18 about something to look out for, something to, to keep an eye on, or something to make sure that you know how to properly process as you make this climb through the minor leagues? Because it's not an easy thing to do.
2: Um... Yeah, uh, probably just, you know, don't don't get too up and don't get too down. Um, you know, it's a very long season that we play, and, um, you know, like I said, a lot of ups and downs. So you can't, uh, you know, ride too high when you're going too well, um, and you can't, you know, stoop too low when you're not feeling right. But, um, yeah, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of that, and, uh, you know, that 2013 season really helped me, helped me with that too. I was uh, watching MILB TV one night, uh, it was probably six weeks
0: or so ago, and from where we are sitting right now in the third base dugout, you hit a home run that basically cleared the video board out in left field, uh, and we talked with Chris Jackson on a, a different podcast that I do, a Rockies podcast, uh, it was a writer for the Albuquerque Examiner, who said, from sitting in this press box at this ballpark, you can hear how the ball comes off the bat, and virtually nothing that comes off of your bat doesn't come off like a gunshot. I mean, it doesn't come off just rocket hard. Is this as good as you have felt you know at the plate or in the field it seems like numbers wise and and the way that you've played this year would suggest that but do you think your career, in your career have you had a stretch like this season has felt
2: um you know I felt a little bit like this uh in Modesto last year um you know where every time I came to the plate you know I knew I could do some damage and you know I, I didn't think there was a chance I was going to get out you know um, and that's, that's the best feeling that you're looking for as a hitter. And, um, yeah, I've had that feeling a lot this year and really more, the most consistently this year. Um, you know, starting back in the fall league last year is when I really uh, started to, you know, pick that up again. And, um, yeah, just, you know, consistently had that day in and day out and tried to, you know, just put my best, uh, my best swing for that day
0: i got to ask you this question, which I know is, is something that you've probably had to answer a billion times already, but being in this system, being in this organization, uh, everything changed a month ago for the Rockies as an organization and as a, a fan base, obviously, um, with the trade of Troy Whiskey. For a long time, everybody looked at, all right, well, Trevor Story's there in the pipeline. What happens to him when, when, if Tulo is there, blocking his way, whatever it is? Now that Tulo has been dealt... Do you think a lot? How do you handle all of these people saying, well, Trevor Story's right there. He's the guy who's going to inherit that spot. Do you have to try to tune some of that stuff out? Or how do you deal with all the expectations now that everybody places on the fact that you're at this level, you're so close to Denver, Mm -hmm. and that spot is open there for you?
2: Yeah. um, You know, for me, I really just focus on what I have to do, you know, here as an isotope right now. And, um, you know, just. Day in, day out, we'll focus on my preparation. And, um, yeah, there's a, you know, you always hear about the people talking and stuff, but, you know, I don't think anybody has higher expectations for myself than I do. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's a special opportunity, um, you know, and it's exciting, but, um, yeah, I just take care of myself, and you know, if, if I do that, then you know, what we ultimately want to happen will happen. A couple more things for you. I'll get you out of here. When you look at you know, in the next
0: handful of days, the next couple of weeks, rosters expand. Um, a lot of guys are going to the big leagues. Do you think about the fact that you could have a, a fairly imminent major league debut? I mean, is that something that crosses your mind, or do you try to keep that kind of out of your head and just do your work here while you know it's here?
2: Yeah. uh Yeah, I'd be lying to you if I tell you. You know you don't think about it but um because I mean that's what we grow up you know dreaming about our whole life and uh you know it's it's definitely very close and um you know within reach right now and um but yeah the way to do it is you know really to not think about it um just uh, like I said focus on my day in day out activities here and uh if I do that then you know, the goal the goal will be reached all right, we'll go with a couple easy ones to get you done
0: with. You have played at a variety of stops with some of the best names in minor league baseball. You are an Isotope currently. You were a Rock Cat earlier. You've been a Nut. You've been a Driller. A Tourist. Were you a Ghost at any time? Yeah, I was. Yeah, so you were my, a Ghost yeah, too. My first year. I was so, a ghost. what is your favorite of all of the the uniforms, the logos, the goofy minor league names you have played with? What what tops that list? Because you've had a really good run in
2: those. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um... <laughs> yeah I'd probably say the ghost I like the uh the hat that we had it glowed. it glowed in the dark, so I thought that was pretty sweet but other than that uh you know I love playing here um and I love playing in Tulsa because that was close to home, and that was a uh amazing ballpark as well so yeah those those spots were very good to me being an Albuquerque, you're a breaking bad fan. You know, I I really haven't been, Okay. I just, uh, you know, last week we were on a road trip and I just was looking through Netflix and saw it and, you know, I've heard all about it, so I checked it out and watched like four episodes in a row, so I might be (laughs) now, so...
0: (laughs) <laughs> you signed your death warrant now because once you watch the first handful you're yeah, never going right. to get away from it now yeah. you're stuck now you know you're off season plans, <laughs> yeah, which right. is a good yeah. thing uh, last thing for you Trevor I'll get you out of here uh, your family uh, is a huge part of what you've been able to accomplish uh, your mom actually follows me on Twitter she follows our Rockies podcast on Twitter uh, is and is, it's so cool to see the enjoyment that they have in your success and the support that they've given you uh, you know the pictures that they tweet from the games that they've gone to where you've been at various ballparks and stuff how cool is it for you to know now that everything i mean all the rides to practices and games when you were a kid and the trips that they've made to follow your minor league career and to now know that you know there's a chance that within the next couple of weeks they're going to be flying to denver and, and going to 20th and blake to see you there how cool is that for you to know that that could be there so soon for them also
2: yeah it's awesome um <clears throat> you know the sacrifice that they've made um you know my whole family really is just amazing and it's uh you know it's probably gonna be just as special for them as it is for me when it happens and uh you know it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty pretty surreal to share that with them um you know and I, i'm certainly looking forward to it number 11 rockies prospect trevor story currently the shortstop of the albuquerque isotopes
0: and possibly the colorado rockies here in just the next couple of weeks uh trevor thanks a ton man and uh, best luck the rest
2: of the way all right thank you
0: Trevor Story is on Twitter as well. He is at T Story too. You can give him a follow if you so choose. And a big thanks to the Colorado Rockies shortstop prospect for joining the show from Isotopes Park here in beautiful Albuquerque. And we are going to uh, change directions here, and we're we're getting close to the end of the minor league baseball season, which is nuts. Uh, but this year is about two weeks left in the regular season, and just a handful of days of postseason baseball, and then you just kind of evaluate the aftermath. Some people have already started doing that, and there is a. Him up on USA Today this week of uh, suggestions for Minor League Player of the Year, and I'm going to run through some of these names, and then Sam, I'm going to turn this over to you for your thoughts. Mm-hmm. These are uh, members of the USA Today Sports Baseball staff. They compiled this list of five candidates for Minor League Player of the Year. They will all get a vote. Fans will also be able to vote on this award as well. It will be announced in early September. But here are the nominations. Uh, A.J. Reed, first baseman in the Houston Astros organization, who has seen time with AA Corpus Christi and Class A Advanced Lancaster this year. Blake Snell, a very good choice left-handed pitcher in the Tampa Bay Rays system, who's played at, like, basically every minor league level this year, because I think he's still, like, 16. (laughs) and he's been unbelievable Um, michael fulmer right-hander in the tiger system adam brett walker whose middle name is spelled with two t's but not in the story Uh, of the minnesota twins who's been with double a chattanooga and trey mancini first baseman in the baltimore orioles system good names a lot of good names Uh, a lot of names missing on this list though sam some of your thoughts
1: yeah well that's the thing that kind of strikes me you know you you look at any kind of list you see who got snubbed um the big one for me is lewis brinson in the Texas system, you know this yeah. is a guy. I think there's only three guys in the minors right now with an OPS, you know, above uh, 100 or 1,000. Excuse me, and he's one of them. Um, he's he's leading the minors right now in slugging with 6.19. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, so that could change by the time you look this up. Um, don't get mad at me if that changes. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy who's really stood out for me. He's another guy with Reed who's you know play split time between two levels, a couple of flavorable playing conditions but you know he, he has stuck out a guy you know 334 average I mean the, it doesn't get much better than that um, you know I, I, I as it stands I mean we do our own Milvies every year so you know that um, we'll be doing our own version of this soon enough and you know the top two guys probably are going to be Reed and Snell so congratulations on that and trying to find a three through five um, is kind of tough after that but uh, I think it's been pretty clear you know, this season that the two best guys in the minors have been Reed and Snell. Um, Kyle Schwarber was in that conversation. Um, we, we'll have that conversation ourselves, whether he still gets to get a Milby vote or not. And I know he's obviously crushing it right now with the Cubs, but he was just so good um, in his time at uh, Tennessee and Iowa this year. Um, I know when I did my mid-season Milby picks for a Toolshed column, uh, I think it was last month, two months ago, um, I picked him, just be, even though he was in the majors at the time, just because he was so good. As opposed, you know, and comparing his numbers to Reed, his came at the top two of levels of the Cubs system. Reed's are at, at high A, double A. Um, so yeah, I, I would throw Schwarber's in there. Just I know it's over a limited time, but he was just so good at, at uh, the beginning of the year, and while he was in the minors, not to consider him. So between him and Brinson, those are my two biggest snubs, I think.
0: Yeah, I I do like, um, obviously, that Blake Snell is getting the the recognition that he certainly deserves for a phenomenal season. I think uh, there are so many guys – I mean, it's such a difficult task to try to rank or – even pick out a group of guys that you feel like are deserving of this award because so many different factors go into this at the minor league level. Whether it's the league that you're playing in, system that you're playing in, the things you're trying to work on developmentally, it's not just about putting up huge numbers. Uh, but I really like, and this is not somebody who would be in a, a full season minor league player of the year award, but somebody who over the last three months or so, two or three months or so, has really injected him in the conversation is Tyler O'Neill uh, in the Seattle Mariners organization, who's up to thirty home runs he's hit 16 of those over his last 36 games since uh the the second half started he missed about a month for the pan am games but he's been ridiculous as far as his power numbers go uh adam brett walker has been very good but obviously he started extremely hot and has really tailed off since he's in that conversation and is one of these nominees uh but there are I think in the in the year, what we have deemed the year of the prospect or the year of the, you know, the minor leagues, the top stars of the minor leagues. There are so many guys who would be in this conversation like Kyle Schwarber who aren't because of what they've been able to do at the major league level. I mean, Carlos Correa would have been a runaway candidate for this before he went up to the big leagues as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I thought he was going to run away with it in May before he got called up. I know that, you know, we talked a lot then about. uh Super Two and all that, but if he if he had made it even to July and kept those numbers, I think he'd be running away with this, even given the year Reed is having and uh, the Snell is having so you know it always goes back to uh, what we were talking about, I think last week, two weeks ago, um, you know maybe clubs are starting to change a little bit, and once they're seeing prospects actually perform, they're not going to sit back and think let's wait to see if this holds out they, are letting them you know thrive at the major league level too and we when we talked about that before with Trey Turner, I don't think um, we necessarily thought he was going to be up before, you know, next spring and now he's already there too. So, you know, it it doesn't make our job any easier when we're trying to decide these end of the season things, but there are there are a decent amount of good candidates that uh it'll be a good discussion when we have it ourselves coming up.
0: Another guy who I would definitely put in the running for this, who I think would be somewhat of a dark horse because he doesn't have flashy power numbers, doesn't have the world's biggest OPS, but Jorge Mateo in the New York Yankees organization has swiped 80 bases this year in 114 games. He's climbed from Class A Charleston to Class A Advanced Tampa and is one of the most electrifying talents in the minors. Uh, I mean, there was talk at some point earlier this year about is he the type of guy who the Yankees could bring up to serve off the bench as a pinch runner um, in a situation, you know, like we saw the Royals do last year with all that speed that they had uh and you know that's a, a fun thing to think about a billy hamilton that you can add you know what the reds did a couple of seasons ago it's not going to happen with mateo because he's so young but that's a guy too who you could put in this conversation limiting it to five is just that's brutal because there are yeah. so many guys
1: yeah thankfully we expanded a little bit. Right. five and uh, it I, we haven't really talked too much about pitching outside of snell so if I'm going to throw somebody's hat in the ring here. It's going to be Joe Musgrove in the Astros organization. Yeah. I remember talking to him. He's had a couple injury issues this year, but he t- still technically qualifies for a lot of minor league lead, leading categories. This is a guy who's walked eight batters in 102 thirds innings. I'm going to repeat that: eight batters in 102 thirds innings. That's he's ridiculous. striking out 99, so he's almost averaging you know a strikeout per inning. And if you like wins, he's twelve and one. If you like ERA, he's got a one point eight eight. There this is a guy who should be at least in the discussion. And hey, it's another Astros guy. So you know we don't have Correa, but there's somebody along with Reed that we can put into the this discussion.
0: We are going to have a much more in-depth discussion when obviously our postseason awards come out uh, as well. The Milbys are on tap. Man, in just a few weeks which yeah. we continue harping on the end of the season is so close and that is so weird for all of us but we will talk a lot more in depth about that as we get closer to uh to the fall the Arizona Fall League and all kinds of fun and exciting baseball then stuff we can when... really get into uh PTI yeah absolutely then we can just so there we go. I'm telling you Sam embrace debate has we that might, has we might that not slogan been taken all I think that's what we're deciding <laughs> So that'll do it for uh, for this little discussion. We're gonna table it now, as they say, because this will be coming back up here in the next few weeks, and we will tell you what we think uh, are the most deserving performances of the 2015 season, league wide. When we return, Benjamin Hill joins the show for one of the final times this year, which is so sad for us to say. We're gonna talk road trips, and we're gonna talk promos and more with Ben Hill. That's coming up next. <laughs> We are uh, drawing close to the end of our our promo conversations for the 2015 season, which is such a bummer, but Benjamin Hill is here, and uh, Ben, still another road trip to go, and some crazy promos afoot this week. What's going on?
3: Yeah, the season is not going to end until it ends, and it's not over yet, and there's always going to be a lot to talk about.
0: Well, let's dive in. Um, let's start first off on a, a story that you've got coming up for the site, which is we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that it is nearly impossible for all of us, and I think everybody, to believe that it has been almost 10 years since Hurricane Katrina. But you were in New Orleans. You caught a Zephyrs game, uh, and that's a team, obviously, that was, uh, went through that entire horror that was 10 years ago in the, in the New Orleans area. Um, tell us about this story that's coming up about kind of the New Orleans community and the Zephyrs and Katrina 10 years later.
3: Yeah, I visited the Zephyrs, you know, in late July. And actually today I I spoke at length with uh, Mike Schlein, the general manager of the Zephyrs. And, um, you know, in the spectrum of Katrina, which was, you know, a, a massive American tragedy, you know, what happened to the local minor league baseball team is not obviously all that bad in comparison to other stories from Katrina. But they do have a very interesting story. And um, one thing in talking to Mike, you know, who was the general manager then and now, that he brings up, and it's easy to forget, is how there was really very little warning. They thought that Katrina had missed New Orleans, and so they played a game. It was their last home stand of the year. The Zephyrs did on Friday, and then had a day-night double header scheduled for Saturday. Oh man! And it wasn't until that Saturday, the day before Katrina hit, that they were like you know, maybe an hour and a half before the game, like, okay, we should postpone this or we should cancel this. (laughs) Jeez. And then it was an immediate, he called it a miracle that they were able to get buses, um, you know, for both teams, for the Zephyrs as well as the Iowa Cubs, um, out of New New Orleans on that Saturday night. And uh, I don't know where the Iowa Cubs went. The Zephyrs went to Oklahoma City, you know, an early start to their next series. And then it was learning from Oklahoma City, you know, what was happening, you know, back home. Um, it's very
0: prophetic too. Uh, obviously the new Orleans Hornets ended up in Oklahoma city for a while. Um, so that's kind of a strange little coincidence after the storm, they took up residency in Oklahoma city with the, with the arena being, uh, inundated and renovated. So that's, that's what a crazy story that is that they went to Oklahoma city then.
3: Yeah. That's just a little kind of a kind of weird coincidence on that front. And then, um, you know, coming back to the stadium, maybe 10 days later and just having to assess what happened. um, he said uh mike the general manager said that there was uh, almost a million dollars in uh, damage done by looting um oh, because mm. you know no one was at the stadium to take care of it and they had all their food and drink and stuff from um you know from their last home stand that wasn't completed so of course all that stuff was gone and um hey in the scheme of things it's not, not not the biggest deal and uh then FEMA and the national guard actually used the stadium parking lot as a staging ground and commandeered some of the offices as part of their you know immediate uh, response strategy meanwhile the team um got all the state uh, got insurance stuff taken care of pretty quickly and were actually able to open the stadium not just for Zephyr's opening day but for uh, Tune Lanes opening day um in February of that year so they had a real quick turnaround and a lot of people were literally living at the ballpark uh, cuz their actual homes were uninhabitable so they had so much work to do at the ballpark that people were just sleeping there We always literally work where they lived, where they worked, and just tried to get ready for opening day.
1: And when it, um, we talked a little bit about it before, but you, you know, spending some time in the area, um, we talked about it before we started the pod, but um, how much is it kind of affected just being around? You know, how much is it still kind of in the air, the effect of Katrina 10 years later in New Orleans itself?
3: You know, having only been there a few times and just for several days at a time, I don't feel like I'm really qualified to give a. uh, a real you know detailed statement on that, but every time I have gone to New Orleans and I have friends who live there, there's that feeling of you know this is still fundamentally the same city, but it's not quite the same. It's kind of uneasiness that uh you know so much has improved from that horrible day ten years ago, but that maybe it will never get quite back to what it was, so I think. It really depends on whether you're a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person, because you can you can look at it from both ways.
0: That's a, a crazy story and something that you know. It- there was so much discussion of what it meant for the Hornets and what it meant for the Saints and what it meant for a lot of other things in New Orleans. And the Zephyrs kind of got forgotten about on a national scale, I guess, because, you know, it's not a major league franchise and there's uh, a lot of different things that go into it. But that is a, an untold story. I mean, I had never heard that about that homestand and playing a day or two days before that that storm hit and everything that went along with it. Uh, so be on the lookout for that piece, which is coming later this week to MILB.com. And uh, let's move on and dive into some of the promo talk for this week. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys run with this one because I will fully admit I know nothing about the show Portlandia, but I know that the Eugene Emeralds uh, theme jerseys and and pants and pants for this week are incredible. Tell us about this, Ben.
3: Uh, yeah, this is my weekly write up for the Cut Four blog over on MLB.com. Uh, this Thursday is Portlandia night for the Eugene Emeralds, and uh, you know I haven't seen the show very much at all either, but of course we all know the concept you know, in an in, in affectionate skewering of uh, hipster culture, as you will. And, uh, you know, Eugene is located in the northwest, obviously, quite close to Portland. And having visited there, I can say that there's also a lot of that weird spirit in Eugene, for sure. So the emeralds are running with it, paying tribute to Portlandia. And so they're wearing some flannel I think the word hipster is overused, but you know, what, what else are you going to do? <laughs> flannel is there for yeah, everybody. Yeah, now, whatever. So. But uh, some hipster flannel, Portlandia inspired jerseys, but then the, they're wearing je- skinny jean pants. Um, they're, These are the most amazing things. They are obviously not denim, they're not jeans, <laughs> but they are normal baseball athletic pants made to look like uh, skinny jeans. So this is definitely one of the most. Outlandish theme outfits Of the season in a year that is I think unquestionably been the most Outlandish just throughout the industry So what? here at the end of the year it We're just never getting over the ridiculousness Just all the way to the end
0: let me just ask you this real quick before Sam jumps in because, Ben, you talked earlier on in the year at one time about how the – I think it's the sublimation process has enabled teams to do a lot more with theme jerseys because the way they can be created and printed and all that. And we have now seen teams start to incorporate pants along with these theme jerseys. And you, Do you think that's the next trend? Are we going to go – I mean, the Frederick Keys, when they did the, the Rugrats night, they did the full-on Chucky thing with the pants as well as the shirt. Do you think pants are the next frontier in the theme? uniform for minor league baseball teams
3: i think we're we, do we
0: tackle the hard hitting issues here <laughs> yeah we do
3: i think we're gonna see more and more of it and it is the same thing you know whereas theme jerseys used to be created you know they were usually only several because they had to be created with the fabric on hand that the jersey company had um now it's basically if you can draw it then it can be made then it can be sublimated onto a jersey or in uh, in pants so there really is no limit outside of uh you know, your imagination and what, uh, you know, standards of common decency. And even those seem to be getting stretched with some of these jerseys and uh, pants. But uh, what the Eugene Emeralds are wearing on Thursday, um, August 27th, is really, um, really something unique. And, you know, this, the show Portlandia is really on board with the promotion. I was talking to Alan Benavides, the Emeralds GM, yesterday, and he was saying they sent tons of DVDs, Blu rays, the Portlandia cookbook. Also, it's oh, random cool. paraphernalia. And Fred Armisen actually made three videos for the Emeralds to, you know, to play during the game. <laughs> oh, the that video is court. awesome. Um, you know, standalone, unique to this occasion videos that they'll be playing. So, um, you know, really, it's not just the uniforms. You know, they have a pre-game kickball championship. They have a, uh, a pickling class demonstration. Um, I'm sure they'll be referencing all sorts of sketches throughout the night. And, uh, you know, really have some fun with this. Get, getting weird in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Yeah, well, for me, being a guy who lives in Brooklyn in his mid-20s, I've been forced to watch, like, two or three episodes of this on Netflix. <laughs> so if you do get a chance... Uh, I like that
0: description. You've been forced to watch Yeah,
1: it. you're at a party and you say, have you seen Portlandia? No. Okay, well, we're watching it right now. We're dropping, no matter how many people are there. But the one thing that stuck with me is the theme song, which is the spirit, is al- the spirit of the 90s is alive in Portland. And just kind of tying some stuff together, um, you know, looking at this, I guess the kind of question is for promo guys. I mean, Tyler, you do a lot of promo stuff for the site too. Are the 90s back? (laughs) Between this and Rugrats. That's a
0: very good question. Nickelodeon. There was a full house night. Frisco did a full house night earlier Uh, this year. Somebody, I think, at one point did a home improvement night.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I know fashion is cyclical and, like, we look back on, you know, the 60s with Mad Men and stuff like that. But are the 90s making a comeback? That's, That's kind of my question as a guy born in the 90s. I Wait, think. Sam, were you actually born are, in the nineties? Nineteen ninety, yeah. April. Oh, I feel so old. Yeah. yeah let's neither. not even talk about.
3: That. <laughs> that uh, I, I think in, in minor league baseball, the nineties is more nostalgia-driven as opposed to um, you know day-to-day fashion-oriented. But I think as our culture, which has ADD and uh, you know very we nostalgia and the periods in which we are nostalgic for that window keeps getting narrower and narrower, and here we are in the 2015 being nostalgic for the 90s. And uh, pretty soon we're going to be nostalgic for Y2K. And uh, our nostalgia is basically eventually going to catch up with our present. And then we'll be nostalgic for the present and uh, find ourselves in all sorts of uh, philosophical conundrums.
0: We are through the looking glass here.
3: It would be fascinating to have somebody do some sort
0: of sociological study on how minor league promotions are basically tied, I think, this is just my personal theory, tied to the age of the front office member's who conjure them because when you look at the the promos over the last five ten years or so that's how it goes. The average age of the front office, as that goes along, the promotions that tie into something retro generally tie into the childhoods of the people who are now running those promotions. And that's what I think is kind of cool. The Rugrats thing makes no sense to anybody who was born before the 90s or the late 80s. But it made sense in Frederick because that's what the front office goes for. That's what probably a lot of players on the team actually understand and could go for. So I think that'd be really interesting because don't you think by and large that's, that's pretty well the case that, that team front offices come up with stuff that they found relatable from their experiences, from their childhood, not necessarily geared toward any certain segment or any certain community.
3: No, I think that's absolutely the case. And the fact that minor league baseball is a young industry and you do have a lot of people in their mid to late twenties, you know, in fairly, I don't want to say high powered, but you know, decision-making brainstorming decisions um, and roles. Um, I do think that their natural, what they're going to look back on is a childhood of the nineties and that in our culture and the millennials now, uh, you know in their 20s and you know having a lot of their own uh, money and disposable income and they can spend that a minor league baseball game if the minor league baseball team is doing something that appeals to their own sense of nostalgia so um, yeah I think that's very much the case and it's probably the reason you only see the the Mayberry deputy playing it you know showing up at Appalachian League parks because that's a cultural reference <laughs> if you're 60 years old. <laughs>
0: Benjamin Hill is our guest for our weekly conversation about promos and all kinds of cool stuff around the world of minor league baseball and as is my uh mo uh, I get Ben's road trips confused all the time so I think Ben is going to I, t- I think he's ticketed for eastern Europe next week uh no the last road trip is a New England road trip and you're gonna get to see a wide variety of there's a whole big range of levels in the northeast and in New England which I find interesting but where are you headed on this trip
3: yeah, last road trip of the season, basically taking me more or less all the way to the end of the season. Starting August 29th, uh, Connecticut Tigers, who play in Norwich. Uh, never been there before, despite its proximity to New York City, and that'll complete the New York Penn League for me, so I'm kind of psyched about that. Uh, next day is New Britain Rockcats playing their last home game in team history. Um, you know, then they'll finish out their season on the road and then relocate 11 miles away to Hartford the following season, where they will become the Yard Goats. So, you know, significant day for the Rock Cats there, August 30th. I'll be there. And my old friends the Lowell Spinners on August 31st. I've been there a few times, but always enjoy visiting Lowell. Pawtucket Red Sox, never been there. You know, classic old ballpark, International League. That's the last International League team I need to visit. And obviously there's a lot of stuff floating around that team in terms of possible relocation to Providence or perhaps elsewhere. None of that's going to be resolved anytime in the very near future. But I'm really interested in seeing Pawtucket in. uh Getting a sense of that more old fashioned experience. Uh, then heading up to uh, New Hampshire Fisher Cats, another team I never visited in the Eastern League. And then uh, staying within the Eastern League and ending my season up in Portland, Maine, seeing the Sea Dogs. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to close it out with a bang. And uh, hopefully, well, not hopefully, I'll definitely get a lot to write about and probably be writing about this stuff all the way into like November at this point, which is fine. You know, it's good to have things to write about.
1: Yeah, I know McCoy especially will give you tons. Uh, you, you talk to anybody in that area, and uh, they'll they'll wax poetic as long as you'll sit there and listen to them about uh, what the, the stadium is like and what the future of the club is. and None of it's going to be resolved, like you said. But, uh, yeah, everybody's got hard hard and fast feelings about uh, what McCoy Stadium means to them.
3: Yeah, and I'm, I'm here to listen. That's my job.
0: I don't say this just to say it, but doesn't it feel like the season started like 16 minutes
3: ago and now you're already going on your last road trip? Absolutely. I keep thinking that like all this anxiety and excitement for the season starting, <clears throat> then it starts and you get in a rhythm, but it just doesn't seem like it's been now five months later Not at all.
0: Not at all this season. I don't know what it is about this year, but this year feels like it's gone five times faster than any other season. Makes zero sense. I don't know the way time works. Like Ben said, soon we're going to be nostalgic for the present, and then we're just caught in all kinds of weird matrix things. Benjamin Hill, you can follow on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. You can follow the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. There's some really good stuff up there from uh, Biloxi and the trip through the Southern League. Uh, really cool story stuff that didn't make it to the website. Of course, the, the additional material is on the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And as always, you can check out Ben's stuff at milb.com as well. And Ben, we will do it again next week and uh and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to hug it out
3: (laughs) yeah it'll be a uh a touching moment (laughs) thanks man thank you
0: wrapping up the 22nd edition of minor league baseball is the show before the show podcast you can give Sam Dykstra a follow on Twitter he is at Sam Dykstra M-I-L-B you can follow me I am at Tyler Mon. and if you're Joe Buck you can especially follow me just to see that I do not hate you uh, Sam postseason is coming up here in just like five minutes uh, we do have a lot of postseason races to watch there are a lot of close races around minor league baseball with second half titles that have yet to be clinched There's really cool i mean i know it's we kind of have a writer every night who covers possible clinching stories but when you get on and you see standings and you see who is chasing whom where they are there's a lot of really good races going on right now
1: yeah one of the things that kind of stood out to, to me today when i came to the office i already had an email about a, a clinching scenario in the pcl you know fresno just running away uh, yeah, with right. the pacific northern division out there in the pcl um, but yeah, one of you know, well, that's one of those things. It's always the sign of the end of the year is that we get to talk to guys who are freshly covered in, uh, whatever, you know, Gatorade, champagne, whatever, level <laughs> they're at, or if they're allowed to drink it at that certain level, you get to, you know, the, the low A's, the, uh, short season You can not have champagne. Cause there's 18 year old guys in the locker room, but, uh, that, those are always fun discussions and we'll have a couple of them starting this week, apparently with a, if Fresno clinches right now, they lead by 13 and a half games. So, uh, We'll see if they can close it out today or tomorrow.
0: And, of course, the big news of the week is we'll see if the Savannah Sandats can continue their 18-game winning streak, which did not end on Sunday. Not winning. (laughs) He's Sam Dykstra. I am Tyler Maughan. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show before the show on iTunes. Give Minor League Baseball a follow on Twitter at MILB. You can also like us on Facebook and check out the website, MILB.com. And uh, until next week. When we'll have a, a much clearer playoff picture and we'll be able to, you know, yell about more sublimated pants or something. We'll talk <laughs> to you then.